everyone. I hope you're all well and um, thank you very much for choosing to join me this afternoon for uh, our next of a three-part series on feline hypertension um, and just a reminder on this slide of uh, just some of the key information if this is your first time uh, joining us so um, important things to mention would be that we record these sessions and the recordings typically will be on the website within 24 hours so um, if you want to re-listen uh, or if you have any technical issues during the the session be aware that you can listen to the recording uh, tomorrow um, and also if you do want a copy of the slides that I use um, then you're very welcome to request those um, and I can send you those in a PDF format so there's no need for you to write anything down that's that's on the slide. So the focus of this afternoon's uh, presentation is following on from last week where I talked about what hypertension is and how it affects cats, why it's so important to know about and in particular which situations we most commonly see it. The focus for this week is how do we actually diagnose hypertension in a cat and obviously a key part of that is going to be assessing measuring blood pressure in cats. So uh, that will be a big focus of today's presentation. I'm going to talk a little bit about the equipment that you can use to measure blood pressure in cats um, and some of the advantages and disadvantages as we know things today of those particular pieces of equipment um, and just make you aware that there are some challenges so unfortunately um, the methods we currently have are not perfect so that is definitely a key point to, to take home. Um, talk about how we actually do the procedure and uh, a reminder of uh, uh, for any clinicians listening to this of some of the pitfalls that can affect our readings. Um, so for example, uh, what we need to be careful about in terms of positioning our, our blood pressure cuff. Um, and then lastly, how we interpret the readings that we get. So uh, you probably know from your, yourselves, if you've ever had your blood pressure measured, which probably most of you, if not all of you will have had at some point, you probably know what are normal or normal-ish readings for a person, um, but I'll tell you what's normal or normal-ish for a cat. And then next week we'll talk about treatment and checkups and, and that side of things. So in terms of um, measuring blood pressure, there are two types of machines that are available for measuring blood pressure in cats. And uh, they in, they're both what we call non-invasive machines. That means that they don't involve putting a needle into an artery, which as you might imagine is not gonna be tolerated by a cat, but that actually would be, if we could get a sensor directly into an artery, that gives us what's called a direct blood pressure. And that would be the the absolute gold standard way of getting a measurement because you're putting your you know your ability to measure blood pressure right in that artery uh, but of course no self-respecting cat is going to allow that to happen in the same way that we if we went to our GP surgery needing a blood pressure check they got out a big needle we'd probably be a bit concerned as well so we use in our clinics what are called non-invasive techniques and that gives us an indirect measure of blood pressure so um, that is 
for a starter going to be less accurate than the sticking the needle in. Uh, we have to accept that. Um, and then with those non-invasive machines, there are basically two choices. One is the Doppler, which is uh, an example of which is shown on the left hand side. And that you will see much more of because that's the technique that I use uh, day to day to measure blood pressure in cats. And that involves um, a sensor, uh, which I'll just I'll put my cursor on now. So this is the sensor. Um, which you place over the artery and you, then you can actually listen to blood flow in that artery and separate to that sensor you have a cuff which you inflate and that's attached to a pressure gauge a sphygmomanometer and that allows you to collect readings and I'll explain exactly how that works a little bit later. The other way, the other broad methodology for assessing blood pressure in conscious cats is using what's called an, an oscillometric machine. And an example of an oscillometric machine shown on the right hand side. And the main difference is that whereas the Doppler technique is a very sort of manual, hands on, we're listening to things a bit like when the doctor does our blood pressure and they put a stethoscope over our um, the crook of our arm, listening to our, our pulse there. Um, um, the oscillometric machine is the, um, uh, sorry, just distracted by a lovely view of a cat there. Thank you very much for that. Um, but the oscillometric methodology is um, the magical black box that does all its calculations inside. We can't actually see how it's, uh, the data it's using usually. And then it tells us at the end, this is what the blood pressure reading is. So it's a more automatic process. You press a button and that will inflate the cuff, which you place on either a leg or the tail. And within that cuff, there is a little sensor and that sensor can detect wobbles, oscillations in the artery wall. And from those wobbles, as the cuff is inflated and cuts off the blood flow in that artery, and then as it's subsequently deflated, allow the machine to make some very clever calculations that ultimately will say, this is what it thinks the blood pressure is. So it's very clever methodology, um, very widely used in people, um, but a little bit newer on the vet side of things. And uh, there are pros and cons of both of, both of these machines. So that, that as written in this red box here, the number one message is neither of these types of machine are perfect. So I have a preference for the Doppler machine at the moment based on my experience of various oscillometric machines that, that have been around on the vet side. Uh, in the future that might change, but at the moment my preference is, I think the Doppler is uh, a more reliable uh, way of assessing blood pressure in cats. So if we look just very briefly at the oscillometric machine and some of the advantages of this, um, this is uh, the automated uh, machine, as I mentioned. So it automatically will inflate, deflate the cuff, and then it actually gives you a lot of numbers at the end because these machines will give you a number for the systolic blood pressure, which is the higher of the two blood pressure readings, the diastolic, which is the lower of the two blood pressure readings, and then also the mean blood pressure. So you'll get those readings and often you'll get a heart rate reading as well. So you, you might feel, well, that's giving me more data. Um, you know, it's giving me more numbers because typically with the Doppler, you'll just get a systolic reading or typically that's the, the easiest one to assess. 
Um, and certainly these machines, if you do use them, I like the ones which allow you to see the data that the machine is using to give you those readings. And the data should look something like this uh, graph at the bottom here, where you can see there's quite a smooth curve um, as the cuff is inflating and deflating of what's happening with that artery wall, those wobbles that I described. And that is what the machine is then using to make the calculations. And if it looks a nice smooth curve like that, then you've probably got good reason to be quite confident in the readings that you are you are receiving uh, whereas if the the curve is all over the place because perhaps the the cat uh, fidgeted a little bit if the perhaps the cuff is on the tail and the cat's swishing its tail that can confuse the machine but you can see it on the on that trace and then you can you know to ignore that reading Unfortunately, not all of the oscillometric monitors have the ability to view the data. And then that makes me a little bit worried because you don't know always how much you can trust the readings that it's generating. They tend to be more reliable in animals that have a slower heart rate. And therefore, that's why they often perform better in anaesthetized cats compared to conscious cats. So these machines are often quite useful in uh, clinics uh, in their operating theatres to monitor blood pressure. And they tend to be more reliable in dogs than in cats. But in some conscious cats, which is our typical uh, cat that we're worried about with its blood pressure and want to assess it, they can struggle a little bit um, with their fast heart rates. Uh, and also they can struggle uh, because of movement in cats confusing the sensor within that cuff. So if the cat tenses a muscle, it might be read as something happening with that artery wall mistakenly by that uh, monitor. So um, I think it, at the moment, my experience of these machines is that um, they're quite variable. If, if I were to buy an oscillometric machine, I would choose what's called a high definition HDO machine because those have been the most carefully studied. But uh, no oscillometric machine is perfect. Similarly, no Doppler machine is perfect. But I just feel currently, um, I feel a, a little bit safer using the Doppler machine um, because at least you've got a good idea of what's happening. You can hear what's happening, uh, which I find is reassuring. You don't have to rely on invisible algorithms within, within the black box to produce numbers for you. So advantages, other advantages of the Doppler are they tend to be less expensive for vet clinics to buy. So I'm not suggesting that you would buy one, but a typical Doppler unit might cost you about 800 British pounds. So they're definitely pretty expensive, but the oscillometric machines tend to be even more expensive than that, the HDO ones. Um, they're very robust. They last a long time. They're very easy to use. Uh, I think they're more reliable in, in conscious cats, which is why I like them for the, the cats we've been talking about in our hypertension series. Um, and in certainly in, in a number of studies, they have been more reliable also in conscious cats in terms of correctly identifying cats with high blood pressure. But they're not perfect. They're definitely not perfect. Um, so still, you're not getting a direct blood pressure reading. So like the oscillometric machine, this is a sort of best guess using technology of what the blood pressure might be. Um, so they're definitely not giving you a perfect reading. Also can be more time consuming, a bit messier, a bit more hassle uh, to do in the cat as well. So these are some of the reasons why um, in vet clinics, you know, some, some clinicians don't like using a Doppler because they just find it's very time consuming and uh, frustrating experience for them. 
but my, my preference certainly at the moment uh, would be to prefer a Doppler machine um, given the choice because I feel based on my experience that, that this is a, the most reliable uh, technique for a conscious cat. If you are interested in um, a deeper scientific analysis of some of the papers that have been published about different monitors, I have got some summary information on that. Um, and if you email info at vetprofessionals.com and ask for that, so summary information on uh, different um, uh, blood pressure machines, what's been published, I can send you that um, if that is of interest to you. And these lovely pictures of the same patient, this is actually a, a colleague of mine, uh, Professor Danielle Gunmore, and just an example of a cat that uh, firstly is quite chilled out having his blood pressure assessed. You can see he's not actually being held at all, um, but you can see also from his facial expression that he actually seems to be slightly miffed about his front leg being held. You know, he's tolerating it. Um, he seems a, a little bit more cheerful, I think, in the photo on the right-hand side. And um, so this, this is the first thing to mention in terms of uh, the technique really is that we do have a choice we can use a limb or a tail to make our blood pressure measurements and some cats actually they just don't like their feet being touched and so the tail is going to be more comfortable for them and therefore that might influence my choice however it is important to know that you will get different readings on the tail versus the leg uh, typically readings from the tail are a little bit higher although not always just to be a little bit frustrating so a key message is that uh, as a clinician I would always say write down where you have taken your blood pressure reading tail or leg and be consistent so that you can monitor trends in the same patient just be aware of some of those um, issues and also, as I've put on here, the cuff should be as close as possible level with the heart to give you the most reliable reading. So that's why you can you can see the cat on the left um, has this what's often called a handshaking posture. It's like it's shaking paws uh, with the, the clinician measuring the blood pressure. And that is to lift that cuff to be about level with the heart. And that's going to give you the most reliable blood pressure reading. So what else can I tell you? Well, some of the following definitely applies to whatever technique you use. And this is one of the things that applies to whatever technique you use, which is um, last week we talked about this phenomenon called situational hypertension, where stress and anxiety can temporarily increase blood pressure. So a key thing we need to consider when we measure blood pressure in our patients is therefore, how can we make this as stress-free, anxiety-free um, uh, a, a situation as possible Possible and uh, really minimize the possibility of that uh, situational hypertension. So I'm just seeing there is a bit of chat going on. So I'm going to ignore the chat till the end. I hope that's all right, but um, I will answer your questions um, as best as I can. And um, so um, from, uh, from my perspective, in terms of reducing stress, quiet and calm environment is the first tip. And um, I think also it's a great advantage to, for the carer to be present with the cat when blood pressure is being assessed. So whilst you might not always have control over that, and particularly at the moment with COVID restrictions and social distancing, that actually may not be deemed appropriate. But under normal circumstances, I think it's really helpful for a cat to have their carer present in terms of reducing the likelihood of them having a stress associated increase in blood pressure. 
next on the list is that you should wear it all possible um, and this applies to yourself as well if you go to the doctor and have your blood pressure shouldn't really just sort of rush through the door and instantly have a blood pressure measurement collected um, ideally have some time to just you know catch your breath and settle a little bit um, before that procedure is done and the same is true in cats we know having what's called an acclimatization period ideally uh, 10 minutes but a minimum of five minutes before you actually start collecting uh, your measurements is helpful in letting the blood pressure just settle down and reducing that uh, the risk of their the situational hypertension so do that where at all possible whatever uh, method you're using to collect uh, blood pressure readings in your cat and then if you're using the, the Doppler methodology, um, then uh, the next step would be to put your cuff on the limb or the tail. And the key thing really with the cuff, and this also applies to the asymmetric technique, is that the width of the cuff should be about 30 to 40 percent of the limb or tail circumference. So um, luckily most cats are fairly similar in size so from a, a clinical perspective one cuff often is fine for most cats but if you do have a, either a very large cat or a very small cat you might need to use a different cuff to your, your standard one. But ideally the cuff 30 to 40 percent, uh, the width of the cuff 30 to 40 percent of the, the circumference and so often I'm using a two and a half centimetre wide cuff and that cuff I put on the front leg between the elbow and the knee of the cat you can see so it's a very comfortable place for it to be just uh, um, on the leg there and the fact that this cat has a little bit of shaved fur ignore that that is not relevant to the technique this cat had had a blood sample collected and then we prepare the area where we're going to put our Doppler probe because we want to get a really good sound signal. So um, the area that we put the probe on is, is shown in that white dotted box there. So it's between what we call the carpal pads, the little, little pad halfway down the leg and the main foot pad. And just wiping that down even just with water, but I, I usually use a, a surgical alcohol just to wipe down that area, helps improve contact with the ultrasound gel and gives you a better signal. And then we have lots of ultrasound gel, uh, which is uh, why this procedure is a little bit messy. Uh, you need your paper towel handy as well to wipe your hands on afterwards. Um, and definitely a good tip is you can never have too much gel. Um, it always improves the contact and makes it easier to hear your pulse signal. And you also put gel onto the probe itself, importantly, when the machine is switched off. If you put gel on your Doppler probe and the machine is on, it makes the most horrendous noise um, that you can possibly imagine. And, and if you hate the sound of, of uh, fingernails going down a chalkboard, this is a million times worse, I promise. So um, definitely keep your Doppler uh, machine off at this point that you're putting the gel on. And then still with the machine off, um, actually place the probe over where you want to listen very, very gently. Uh, you don't want to press too hard and uh, then you can switch the machine on. And as you can see in, in this uh, uh, heading of this slide, I'm a fan of wearing headphones. It allows me to really focus on what I'm doing um, and uh, very quietly listen to what's happening. Um, a study done by the Royal Vet College in London indicated that cats don't mind hearing the sound. So it isn't necessarily more stressful for them if you don't wear headphones, but I, I like to wear headphones. And then you can listen to the pulse signal um, and it should hopefully play through your systems now.
so I'm just checking the chat box to make sure that yep there's no nobody saying I can't hear anything that's good uh, videos like this also on my website so you, you can you can hear them there as well um, but what you what you heard just then is a little bit like a steam train uh, with the cat's pulse uh, happening and also the other lovely thing about um, this video I think is you can see um, this, the cat's pretty relaxed you know just sitting there having a little bit of a cuddle while the procedure is done and again that the cuff is level with the with the heart. So um, and another example of, of uh, the cuff uh, positioning um, here. So we've got on the left a cat with sitting down um, and the cuff is on its leg on the floor, obviously not level with the heart. So that is definitely not a good cuff position. We're going to get um, an unreliable uh, reading as, as per uh, the information on the right hand side of the slide there. Um, what we want to see is that cuff level with the heart as in the lovely Casper you can see. So once we've got a good pulse signal, then we can inflate the cuff um, and looking at the pressure gauge, uh, this is our sphygmo manometer, which has a pressure gauge attached to a, a sort of pump, hand pump, air pump, which pumps up the cuff. And as we inflate the cuff, we look at that pressure gauge and we see where uh, the pressure is when we can no longer hear the pulse and we go a little bit higher um, and then we will uh, start to deflate the cuff and we look for the point where that pulse signal first becomes clearly audible where we can first hear that pulse return and that is the systolic blood pressure and so in this example here that's 154 uh, millimeters of mercury but uh, I'll now show you a short video the first bit of which has no sound um, and uh, but just goes through the pr procedure a little bit more and this is my, my own cat Sooty who you can see is not looking completely impressed with the the fact that he's having his blood pressure checked and I'm just measuring his leg because he's quite a big cat to check what size cuff is going to be appropriate for him and making sure that he has the right uh, cuff width to be used and then that cuff is just being put on so it's nice and snug but comfortably on his leg uh, I've prepared the area where uh, I'm going to put the probe a little bit just putting a bit of gel there and then put some ultrasound gel onto my Doppler probe and then I very gently hold that in place and hopefully when I've pressed that red button you'll hear his pulse So hopefully you could hear, hear that pulse, we cut it off around about 140 and then I inflated the cuff a bit more, deflated it very slowly and again it, the, the signal returned around about 140 uh, millimetres of mercury. And there is a, a full uh, version of that video with a voiceover throughout uh, on the video tutorial page of, of the website. It's, I think, in the, the section probably for veterinary professionals, um, but you'll be able to see it how to measure blood pressure. So we then deflate the cuff completely and repeat that procedure and get a series of readings um, from which we calculate an average. 
So what is normal? Well, in a clinic situation, um, we would like ideally your cat's blood pressure to be less than 140 systolic. Uh, that is considered a, a cutoff for normality at the moment. And most cats in a clinic situation will have systolic blood pressure between about 120 and 140. The next category um, is called pre-hypertension, but also includes cats with this situational hypertension, the stress or anxiety associated increase in blood pressure. And that uh, is where we have a systolic blood pressure reading between 140 and 159 millimeters of mercury. Um, so it could be the cat is genuinely has high blood pressure, but it's in this pre-hypertensive category, or it could be that situational stress associated increase. And for cats that we ultimately decide are pre-hypertensive, um, usually we don't treat them unless they have evidence of um, damage to, the, to those target organs that we talked about last week, the eyes in particular, but also the kidneys, um, the heart, the central nervous system. Um, or if we can see in an individual cat that trends in blood pressure are very definitely increasing, then that would be justification also for treating at this level rather than waiting for it to get even higher. Um, but for a lot of cats, actually, this, the stress, the situational anxiety can put the blood pressure into this sort of region. And those are cats that obviously don't need treatment. Cats with genuine hypertension, by definition, have a persistent blood pressure of 160 millimetres of mercury or higher, and that's further subdivided into uh, a moderate risk of target organ damage with uh, the hypertensive cats, the left-hand side of this slide, versus a severely hypertensive cat uh, where systolic blood pressure is 180 millimetres of mercury or higher, and there is a definitely a very high risk of target organ damage, high risk of damage to the eyes, central nervous system system, heart and kidneys. So we will categorise our patients in, into each of these categories. But importantly, even for these cats, there still is the possibility of stress taking blood pressure into that level. And I certainly have had um, many cats over the years with situational hypertension where I've had readings over 200. There can be a really massive temporary increase in blood pressure readings in some cats and some cats are probably more vulnerable to this than others. So we need to be very careful not to misdiagnose hypertension when a cat is stressed and that's the next big question uh, that I want to finish off with here is how can we then distinguish between a genuine high blood pressure and one that is temporary associated with stress, that situational hypertension. And these are the steps that I go through when answering that question. First thing is to make sure I do as much as I can to collect any blood pressure readings in as calm and cat friendly an environment as possible to really reduce the risk of situational hypertension from happening in the first place. And I'll uh, show you a list of my sort of top tips for that in just a moment. Next on my list is to look for target organ damage. So uh, in, in particular, look at the eyes, uh, because if you do see evidence of hypertensive damage to the eyes and you've got a high reading, even if you've only got one high reading, if the damage to the eyes is very definitely uh, looks like it's caused by hypertension, then you can make the diagnosis that way. 
but if you haven't got that situation you need to confirm that that high reading is persistent that it's not just a one-off that the cat was stressed on the journey to the vet for example and the guidelines on this slide are those that are recommended currently uh, by the international renal interest society iris um, that have a lot of guidelines on managing cats with kidney disease um, and uh, any of you that listen to the the kidney sessions that we did will know that high blood pressure is a common complication of kidney disease which is why they they have guidelines on uh, monitoring a blood pressure as well and basically the summary of these guidelines is as far as blood pressure is concerned if it's very high you want to monitor it uh, quite frequently to make that judgment as to whether it's persistent or not um, but if the blood pressure is a little bit lower you can perhaps take a bit longer to, to make that decision because it's likely it won't be compromising your patient too much. Next on the list would be to look for other evidence of target organ damage, such as increased loss of protein in the urine, and also consider looking for underlying diseases that we know are associated with high blood pressure. So that might be the sort of sequence of events that we'd follow, but importantly is making sure we're cat friendly, and that's where I think it's a real advantage if you can be present with your cat when their blood pressure is assessed, which as I've already said, may not be possible at the moment with the, the social distancing um, requirements that uh, we need Need to follow for our own um, health and safety in terms of uh, coronavirus um, but normally would be absolutely ideal is fit for you to be with your cat and able to reassure it whilst this procedure is happening and also for the clinician collecting the readings to take plenty of time if your cat is very anxious about vet clinic visits, um, then something that might be worth talking about with your clinician is gabapentin, which is not a veterinary licensed medication, but you may have heard of it as a painkiller used in people, particularly with nerve pain, neuropathic pain. Um, gabapentin in cats can be used for pain relief, um, but also it, um, particularly in uh, initial dosages of treatment, can be a little bit sedating to cats. It can make them a little bit sleepy and this side effect has been exploited a little bit by clinicians in recent years that if you have a very anxious cat who really really hates going to the vet um, and who can blame them in so many ways um, but uh, actually giving some gabapentin at home before the vet visit can be very calming and doesn't have an impact on blood pressure readings so it doesn't uh, confuse our ability to diagnose this condition but it can make it a lot less stressful for the patient so if you have a cat that's in that category um, then uh, that might be worth considering. Um, the hands-off technique at the bottom is if you do again have a really difficult cat that really won't tolerate being handled then of course an oscillometric machine one of these uh, more automated machines that you can put on the cat and then put it back into its cat carrier and press the button outside the basket to collect the readings might actually be less stressful for the cat and might let you get some readings so you might not be able to do the Doppler but you can do something. We look at the eyes to see if there are damaging uh, evidence of high blood pressure and uh, this little cat Audrey um, you can see has very abnormal looking eyes um, in the the picture in the background you can see where she's looking at the camera she's got very very large pupils the black of the eye which in cats is often quite slit like this uh, vertical slit like pupil she now has these really round large pupils and that often is uh, associated with blindness 
blindness and she uh, was a cat that suffered from this very sudden onset blindness so you can see her eyes look abnormal in that respect but also if you look at that close up at the front where I'm now shining a light in, in the eye uh, what you're actually seeing here within those pupils within that black space is that her retinas are detached so you can see again I'll put put my cursor over but the, these are blood vessels at the back of the eye which we don't normally see when we shine a light into our cat's eye but we can see them in Audrey uh, because of her retinal detachment so she is one example of the sort of changes we might see um, I think I showed this picture last week occasion we'll see bleeding in the eye that's visible at the front of the eye um, so that also can be a clue of hypertensive damage um, and then uh, another example of retinal detachment so Audrey on the right a different cat on the left where again through this is a much better camera that's taken this picture rather than my phone but this you can see here we have again a retina with lots of blood vessels you should not be able to see that looking at the eye um, without special equipment but this is just shining a light at this cat's eye uh, it has a retinal detachment and lastly some pictures of the back of the eye so any of you that uh, know what the back of a human eye looks like may have some ability to interpret these the white blob on the left hand picture is the optic disc so this is the the nerve um, that uh, collects all the information from the, the seeing layer of the eye the, the retina and takes that to the brain and then we can see blood vessels um, here which are not really very red because of the, the photograph but these are blood vessels this is a normal fundus on the left but on the right hand side you can see there's lots of splodges of bleeding um, so there's hemorrhage there's lots that are very fuzzy because of edema swelling of the retina um, and uh, there's a little aneurysm on one blood vessel um, there's all sorts of changes there this is a really typical severely hypertensive eye so if we see that and the cat has a high blood pressure reading we can tick we've got the diagnosis and then once the diagnosis is confirmed we can move on to treatment which is the subject for next week um, and even in cats that are completely blind um, and even if that blindness has been present for some time actually vision can return to some degree um, at probably in, in around about half of, of those cats um, even those cats that do remain blind often I think their quality of life is very much improved with treatment anyway they feel a load lifted off them I think um, but of course wonderful if you can get some return to vision um, the best chance of that has got to be with the earliest treatment so I would always say if you if you see any um, problems with your cat's eyesight view that as potentially an emergency and speak to your vet clinic as soon as possible because if it is due to hypertension then earlier treatment probably is going to help help the outcome so in summary from today, um, Doppler and Acillometric machines are available and they both have their pros and cons. Definitely neither is perfect. I prefer the Doppler for some of the reasons that I've shared with you today. Um, but, uh, you know, other, other clinicians do use uh, other machines. And we're all looking for hypertension as being uh, defined by persistent uh, blood pressure above 160 or 160 or above. And if we have a, a single high reading, 
and very clear evidence of target organ damage such as that retinal detachment or hemorrhage that I showed you then we've confirmed the diagnosis we can go on to treatment but if we're doing um, let's say a routine healthcare assessment and we have a high reading but the eyes look absolutely fine we need to confirm that that abnormality is persistent before we start treatment because uh, otherwise we could be misdiagnosing um, a cat that is just stressed and has that situational hypertension there are some other resources that might be of interest to you. Um, so on the right hand side of this slide, I've got two that you can download. Uh, if you Google ISFM consensus guidelines on hypertension and also the ACVIM, the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine uh, consensus statement on hypertension. These are both aimed at vets, uh, both of these articles. So uh, you may find them um, uh, a little bit technical, um, a little bit um, in a language that is not completely familiar. However, but if, if this subject is of interest to you, um, I think you may still uh, find that you, you do actually gain from looking at them. So uh, potentially of interest. And if you do want a copy of these slides or the additional slides I mentioned earlier, uh, please do uh, feel free to get in touch.